Hello and welcome to Awakened with Leah, the next chapter. I'm your host, Leah, and this show is about bringing to the forefront diverse guests who have experienced adversity and major or minor transitions in life so that we can provide our viewers with courage, confidence, and tangible tools to navigate any challenge in life with the lived experience and wisdom of our guests. I'm so honored to introduce everyone today to Alicia Galambos, director and founder of EAG Innovation, which is a mental health service for families. Welcome, Alicia. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate you being here and for your courage to openly speak about your experiences with us. I think the more we continue to listen to others and the more we get curious and Speak about the more our experiences, the more we just learn collectively as a whole. And, you know, that's what I'm about personally and professionally. Absolutely. And the, the more we learn, the more we grow. So um, I know that you have agreed to speak on a variety of topics today. And again, I thank you for that. Um, so let's start off with you taking us back to some earlier experiences that shaped who you are today. So um, for me, I had a little bit of a challenging childhood. Um, I was a sibling to a younger brother with autism, and I was also thrust very early on into a caregiving role and into a lot of responsibility. So I most certainly matured faster. And at the time, maturity was seen as a good thing by adults, by teachers around me. And little do we know, maturity is usually, in children especially, is usually a sign of trauma. And at that point, you know, growing up really quickly, by the time I was in high school, I was pretty much an adult. There wasn't much child left in me. And I think when we treat teenagers or even tweens as being adults already or having a good head on the shoulders, we miss the opportunity um, to learn emotional regulation, to learn about safety. And because at that time, think I was an adult, I thought I was invincible. I thought I could do everything. And um, I was amid an eating disorder for many years. So my actual previous diagnosis was atypical anorexia. I actually didn't get that to my 20s, but I was also very, very sick. So when I was in high school, I was constantly fainting. I missed a semester of the 11th grade because, you know, I was so sick, but I was also at the same time very independent, very involved in the community, had a lot of jobs, positions, a lot of opportunities that were really just open to me. And that kind of led me to getting into some difficult and challenging situations that were unsafe or really opened up an opportunity for me not to have any protection behind me, not to really have a support network, and really being in situations where I was easily taken advantage of quite frequently. I can hear how painful that must have been for you. I think, though, pain, when I look at pain, we're not meant to hold it so long. So when I talk about it now, I can remember the pain then. I just don't feel like I carry that with me. That pain used to be such a weight. 
and now it's almost become a light. It's something I look for through a lens of what have I been able to do because of the pain? What have I been able to learn? What have I been able to grow from? And that's not always easy. It took a lot of years. Absolutely. But it sounds like the acceptance played a, a big part in your healing. I think for me, I remember going to dialectical behavioral therapy. And because it was one of those groups where you can start at any week. So if you could start at week one, week four, week 12, it didn't matter. You were still going to get back to whatever week you started on. And the first day I walked in, or one of the first days, was on radical acceptance. And this idea that we have the ability to use acceptance to reinvest in our lives, that just struck me. I felt in that moment everything changed, everything just got brighter because I didn't see acceptance as that. I saw acceptance as equaling forgiveness and I had no intention to forgive. And really what acceptance is, is that we get rid of all the stories that we've been telling ourselves for so many years and then we get to own our power back. Exactly. And I think that's the biggest thing is looking at empowerment through a lens of now you get to be curious. You get to be curious about what other stories are out there. So the stories that we tell in our heads are there other stories that don't align with self-criticism or don't align with shame. So I think that curiosity piece along with acceptance is really important, or at least it was for me too. And it sounds as soon as you changed your belief system, it allowed you to take your challenges into opportunities. Yeah. And I mean, it was a while. At that point, I was like, okay, what can I do to reinvest in my life? And they were little things. I refer to them as small acts of resistance because these are the things we're supposed to do. We're told we're supposed to do each and every day. So my small acts of resistance were things like being seen, going to the park and reading a book and just being seen in public. So doing more than, you know, going to therapy, going home, going to work. I began to find other ways to enrich my life and nurture some of my talents. And that took years. It took about, for me, until I got to where I am now, that was about two and a half, three years of work and really getting to know myself again, knowing myself without the trauma, knowing myself without some of those limiting beliefs. And I think that's a big thing. We think we're as adults that we're supposed to know ourselves. And sometimes we just don't. We only know the one version of ourselves that we've been telling ourselves exists and is the only possibility. Yes, very relative to what you were saying about changing your belief system and all those stories. I just want to circle back to something you said in the beginning about uh, maturity and trauma. Can you talk more about that? I think the biggest thing is giving them an opportunity to be exposed to stress, but positive stress. So children who are exposed to things like having to share their toys for the first time, going to school for the first time, being left with a babysitter for the first time. Yeah, that's definitely a stressful experience for a child because it's something that's new for them. And then we cut into more toxic stress situations where children are becoming caregivers, where they're in a position where they're meant to be responsible. There's other traumas, there's things like abuse happening at home those toxic stress elements can really lead to early maturity because that child, and at least for me in my case, hasn't had time to play, hasn't had time to explore, 
haven't had time to get curious and play in the mud and find friends. They've just been treated in a way where they're meant to bear a load. And that's how I always felt as a child. And this is my load to bear. I got a soldier on. And as adults, a lot of the adults I talk to and speak to or offer peer support to, a lot of the time they find those limiting beliefs are either coming from childhood or sometimes it's adulthood that weight gets pressured on them. And when you're weighing that pressure onto a child, that maturity spikes. And that's how I felt it was for me is nobody saw the idea of a child being mature as being conscientious, as not making any mistakes, as a bad thing. Because in a lot of parents' minds and a lot of adults' minds and a lot of educators' minds, they think, right, this isn't a problem. He really began speaking in class till the sixth or seventh grade. I was just quiet. I didn't want to be seen. I didn't want to be heard. And a lot of that was influence coming in from the home environment. So I definitely, there were things I didn't even know that I knew how to do. I didn't know I was good at math or was able to do math even till high school. And all these things were limiting because I was too shy to ask questions. I was too scared to ask questions if I didn't know how to do something, didn't know how to ask for help. If there's one time I want to use the word should, is we should give everyone the opportunity to ask for help. And maybe it's not a should, maybe it's an essential human need that we just don't talk about enough in society because we're so limited by some of those beliefs that exist and some of those stigmas around maturity and childhood and what an ideal child is. Thank you for elaborating on that uh, and creating more awareness around that because it's true, a, a lot of adults don't see it that way. And so, you know, we hand over our belief system to the kids thinking we're doing the best we can, but we have no idea, you know, where we're leading the next generation. So do you believe that it had the impact it did for you going into your eating disorder? I think so, because one of the reasons for me and that led to kind of atypical anorexia was not wanting to be seen. It was wanting to hide constantly because I thought by not being seen, no one would notice me. And if no one noticed me, that was a check mark in my book. That meant I was doing something right. And that also meant no one could hurt me. No one could ask me for anything. And at the same time, I was really striving for perfection because thinking, oh, well, I'm already, I've already been told I'm perfect in these ways or I'm ideal in these ways. So I need to make myself more perfect. If I need to make myself more lovable. And some of that influence from society creeped in and then influence of my own trauma too is, you know, having to always be in a place where I was in charge or in control of myself. And when things felt like they were out of control in my life, I felt I needed an outlet. I needed something to turn to. And especially at that age, when you're 11, 12, you're starting to give your child or you're starting to get more control over what you eat. You're starting to get more control of what you're putting in your body, how you're exercising, what kind of movement you're participating in. And I was left to my own devices a lot of the time. So I really got to 
explore. And some of that was good exploration. There's things that I learned to do by myself because no one was standing over me telling me what to do. And on the other side, I got to explore things like eating disorder behaviors, other behaviors that were harmful. Um, so, I mean, yes, now I'm an adult. I look at both of pros and cons. And at the time, it was just, this is the only good thing I'm doing. And that's kind of how I always felt about the eating disorder and engaging in behaviors. If this is my one good thing, because this is what allows me to maintain control. Now, of course, I know that's not true. But at the time, that was a very strong belief for me. It sounds like the control uh, was to protect yourself. The procrastination led to, uh, I mean, the, the perfectionism led to needing more of that control to protect yourself. Yeah. And I do actually want to go back to that word procrastination that you just used, because I think that is something we don't talk about with eating disorders and perfectionism is sometimes what happens in the pressure to be perfect and to do everything right, we end up not wanting to do it at all. We end up just wanting to throw our hands back and say, if I can't do this right, I'm just not going to do it. I'm just going to give up. And I found, even though being as mature as society said I was, I would wait until I had all, basically all my ducks in a row before even saying, okay, I can write down the first word on my assignment. So all of that, of course, it's, con it's living in a constant state of anxiety when you're now procrastinating like that and you're really allowing that fear to be perfect come through and then you're using eating disorder for control. So I think procrastination is a really good word, although we're not using it in the typical sense. I think it's definitely something that's relevant in line with perfectionism too. So yeah, I like that you brought that up because the way it, you know, plays out is perfectionism is procrastination and procrastination, what's underneath that is fear. And you spoke about that because you had this fear and you felt the need to protect yourself. Very relative to exactly what you were saying. And so what, you know, you mentioned that you you needed to find ways to nurture yourself in order to step out of that. So what were some ways that you found that you nurtured yourself that healed you besides acceptance? Um, so these days, what I found has been really nurturing is approaching everything with a curious mind. And with curiosity, I think I've been able to heal in more ways than one. I got really curious about the other parts of myself. So what my inner child had to say, what my inner teenager had to say, what those inner parental voices were saying, and looking at gaining control over over all those stories in my head. The mother figure in my head was more so over-controlling, very much in line with the eating disorder, whereas the inner child, this kind of toddler voice, was very much, if someone could just love me and being a little bit more impulsive. So recognizing all those voices and getting curious and beginning to have really conversation, really having deep conversations with myself. The amount of times I've just laid on the floor and surrendered and just 
not surrendered to a task, not surrendered to a project, just surrendered myself to the universe is such a big thing. And it's not a strategy you'll find in any book. It's more spiritual. It's more internal. And the universe can be anything in your life, I think. I've heard people describe it as human goodness, as the relationship with a higher power. I find that's been the biggest thing is learning how to surrender, learning how to let go, and using some of that curiosity for good instead of using it to explore ways that are harmful. I, I fully agree with you. And, you know, when we do surrender, it allows us to be more in alignment with our values. We end up focusing in that present moment of what we want, not what we don't want. And then everything falls into place. You don't realize I had a conversation with a friend recently and we were just talking about some of the things that we wanted in life. And within 24 hours, he was saying, I really want a car so I can go see my family. 24 hours later, he had a car. And we both had this thing. One of my things was I really wanted to be able to defy the connection that keeps us stuck with time zones. Same week later, I ran four different international sessions. And all these things, I think when we surrender and we don't get caught up in how can I control this? How can I fix this? When we remove how can I fix this to how can I let this happen? Things start to happen and things start to change slowly and with a steady progression. Yeah, that's when we gain ultimate control. And the example that you just gave with your friend is he was focusing on what he wanted. He wasn't focusing on the past and being or being a victim to it or blaming others. He was focusing on what he desires and then it manifests. We don't yeah. always get what we want, but most certainly, you know, the universe is with us all the time. So if we focus on what we want, we, you know, we have a better chance of uh, being in the flow. Can you tell us how you broke through some of the fears in order to take the action that you took? I had to get really scared. And I mean, legitimately scared for, legitimately scared for my life. So I mean, at that point, the eating disorder had manifested into a way that was beyond my control that it couldn't be a secret any longer. And you got to remember, I kept it a secret from ages 12 to about 20 something. So it got to the point where I was really like I was sick. And I mean, it wasn't just the fainting kind of deal anymore. It was of a more serious nature and being like, okay, I'm starting to get scared. I took a really mild step. I mean, I'd already done some kind of therapies, but I wasn't really engaged with them. I was just kind of going, I was showing up. And then dialectical behavioral therapy came along and I felt, I understood what acceptance looked like, looked like at that point. I understood mindfulness. I understood how to breathe into my body better. And with, for me, the first step really began with Doing more peer support outlets was sitting in a room of folks who were just like me, who had all been through similar experiences, 
who could relate with the idea of the perfectionism, could relate with trauma, were willing to talk openly and share. And through there, I began to heal because we were all curious about each other. We all asked questions. We all gave each other accountability. We all made sure that we were unconditional. And that's really where it started. And I began to kind of say, okay, I need to talk to someone who has knowledge in these areas, who's able to speak about trauma, who's able to speak about eating disorders, who's able to help medically. And I just sort of began to assemble my support network. And I knew peer support was a really great thing for me at that time. So I incorporated that and I built up the team I needed and I began to make choices. So before, when we look at our system, especially here in Canada, typically if you're in a hospital setting, your mental health nurse is assigned, your social worker is assigned, your group facilitator is assigned. So I never really got to make a choice about who my provider is going to be, who's going to be responsible for my care, who do I want to connect with and build an alliance with. And when I, I always thought, I remember thinking so deeply that I'm never going to find anyone I like. Everyone else has been bad or they've left or they've been a limited time. And the day I got to choose someone was the biggest thing. I got to make a choice. And then I realized I can make all these other choices. I realized I could look back at everything I tried in the past and decide how do I want to move forward. And that was the biggest thing where I didn't realize all that I had done. I didn't realize how much work I had put in. Powerful, very powerful. What you had said about taking a baby step, I think that is a very key message because a lot of times we get overwhelmed and we procrastinate. We end up not doing anything, but it takes one step and then you get the domino effect that you had created for yourself. So you took that one step, you created all this awareness and then with all that awareness, you were able to make these conscious choices of which direction that you want to go in. It's not a destination you're trying to reach. It's about being present in the moment and focusing on learning and growing. And exactly. when we're not trying to reach a des destination, it allows us to be present in the moment. Again, I want to circle back to what you spoke about earlier. Can you identify with the trauma that you experienced? So I think when I talk about being hidden and one of the reasons too, I know we've been talking about that strong eating disorder voice a lot. For me, that came out of experiences with sexual assault. So with maturity and with being treated like a grown-up, I began exploring alcohol at an early age. I began hanging out with people a lot older than my age as well because I could relate on their level. It just, it made sense for me to be there. And at the time, I was in a youth group setting. Despite my trauma, despite everything that had happened to me up to that point, I was very much mature, responsible. So at the time while I was helping someone out, we were sitting in the back of the car, kind of separated, secluded um, from the rest of the group. And that's where the assault took place. And 
at that time, it was very much so me not understanding and just feeling this really intense blame on myself because I knew that with maturity, I was supposed to be responsible. I was supposed to not let this happen. I was, I should, I should, I should. And those were the words that kept coming up for me. And I felt, I felt like, an, I felt an overwhelm. And I mean, at that time, that was also around the same time I was fainting. I was working a couple of jobs. I was doing some cooperative education. I was really the person who everyone had told me I was supposed to be minus the sickness. Um, so, I mean, when it happened, I think it took some time to understand. And I didn't really, I didn't particularly tell anyone about it. I think at the time I might have told two people. And I just remember still having to sit in cars and just having so much anxiety and so much distress. And I couldn't show it. There was no way I could tell anyone else in my life because I felt if I said anything, it would blame me. They would tell me I'm a bad person. Of course, this was your fault. So I really kept it in. And I kept it in even though at that time I was going through so much else. And I just began to hide more. I decreased my involvement in a lot of areas. I just began to look for things in the background. And I think in the 12th grade, I ended up going to an arts high school because my previous high school was like, you know, you've been sick here. If you faint, we can't really do anything about it. And I was really lucky that the arts high school that I went to, it was just a supportive environment. And I mean, it was also happened to be right across from the hospital. So that was, you know, really helpful and fantastic. But my environment began to change and I began to realize, okay, I'm still hiding. And I was hiding at doing the things I really loved to do before. I was so afraid of being seen as if it was just written on my face. Like at that point, I felt like I was wearing a sign. Like, you know how you see in cartoons, like a kick me sign? I thought I was wearing a sign like, don't go near me. I'm damaged. I'm ruined. I have too much baggage. And some of that was from childhood experiences with abuse as well. But a lot of it had come from that particular experience I had when I was 16. So yeah, a lot of the hiding and a lot of the shame really came up at that point. And to have that anxiety and distress from this traumatic experience that that you went through is completely understandable you know the intellectually the maturity was there but emotionally you had not reached that emotional stability yet and then you were put into this situation where now you were reflecting negatively on yourself about how you should have handled it or that you should have been able to handle it. Emotionally, you didn't have the opportunity to to gain the maturity and wisdom yet at that age. Intellectually, I was above someone of my years. I mean, I, 
I remember having to do things like readability checkers and they were at PhD level and I had all of these other aspects of intelligence, yet emotionally, I didn't have healthy coping skills. I had, res what I did have was resilience. Like I look back and I'm like, I was resilient and I was pretty amazing to overcome through overcome that because my brain knew it needed to search for a way to cope. It knew it needed to search for something to relieve its pain because it didn't know, I didn't know how to process it emotionally or how to talk about it or have the wisdom to do it, to do anything with it or know what I needed. It sounds like with the willingness to put the work into it, you you are able to actually forward focus, right? Exactly. As yeah. opposed to, I mean, you touch on the past, you know, you sort of evaluate, look look at what wasn't working, and you use that to your advantage to move forward. Now, life is a journey of transitions, and our goal is to provide our viewers with hope, but also to provide them with a tangible takeaway. So what's one tangible takeaway that led you to your next chapter that you can share with our viewers? It's the idea that we, two things can exist at once. I can feel, so for the example I gave before, I can feel sadness coming up at a time where I want to feel happiness and I can choose to feel happiness or things can be hard and I can do hard things. Just replace some of those buts. Because when we're butting ourselves all the time, we're invalidating those important emotions. We're invalidating our thoughts. We're, we're the ones treating ourselves as less than. And I think it's so important to just see things on every side, in every avenue, in every curiosity. And I think that's what a transition is, too. We're making choices. We're making choices to say, and things can be different in my life right now. And although I'm doing this really hard thing and transitions aren't easy, and I'm overcoming it, I'm walking the path, I'm walking through the journey. So I always like to think of that. And I really want to go back to the idea that we're continuously making choices and and can be one of your choices that you choose to make on your journey. That's all the time that we have today, but I want to thank you so much for being here. We appreciate you, your story, and your wisdom, and I look forward to having you on the show again very soon. Thank you so much. It's an absolute pleasure. I hope I can, you know, even be of service to one person. It just brings so much light into my life, and hopefully others are continuing to watch your show and getting curious with you as you kind of share a lot of these really important and significant stories. Thank you. And to all our viewers, thank you so much for being here. And I look forward to sharing the space with you again next time. Thank you.